It's good to be back at CORE, and uh, glad Brad's gone today. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> Just go long, go late. I do have, uh, I do have uh, one thing working against me this morning. I open up my computer where I carry my notes, and my battery's at 10%. So, you guys are lucky. <laughs> Could to get a short message. Now it's a little bit more than 10. It's about 20, so... Good to be here. This is like a second home for us. We live two miles away, and somehow I got lost coming here today, went past the exit. Lori says, who in the world gets lost going two miles away to a church you've been at 20 times? Only me, so glad to see you guys. Uh, we're excited about uh, your anniversary. Happy anniversary. You're going to be praying for uh, Grace on uh, your, your expansion and some of your, your work and your offering next week. And uh, excited about the future of this church. Brad and I are more than just kind of casual friends. We are close. Uh, every two weeks, uh, Brad, myself, and two other pastors meet for lunch, and uh, we basically put everything on the table. We are committed to uh, transparency, vulnerability, to share each other's struggles, challenges, victories, and uh, I can promise you there's nothing that he doesn't know about me, nothing I don't know about him, and along with these other two guys, um, we're just committed to brotherhood. So I can tell you this, he, he and Laura are true pastors. They have a genuine love for, for both the Lord uh, and this flock, and you are in good, good hands. So I'm, I'm just thrilled to be uh, in relationship with you guys. This morning, he's asked me to talk about uh, bringing peace into our world and uh, the peace of God. And so I've entitled uh, the message this morning, Where Are the Peacemakers? And uh, I don't know about you, but this is a bit of a, a tough subject for me. Uh, not because I don't believe in it, but because I have trouble living up to it. <laughs> uh, my first impulse is and has never been to make peace. Can anyone relate? Come on. I grew up a fighter. I grew up taught in my culture. I mean, I'm a Canadian. I played hockey. Have you ever gone to a, a fight and a hockey game broke out? I mean, the, the, hockey is a fighting sport. They give you sticks, and they're used to hit each other. And fighting is the only sport in all of the pro sports where... They will drop their gloves. They will have a fist fight on the ice. Bloodied faces and noses, broken noses. And, and, and the penalty is five minutes. You got to take a five-minute break. This is Canada. This is where I grew up. And, and I was a fighter growing up. Like everything was solved after school in the parking lot. And I never turned down a fight, ever. I knew I was going to lose fights, and I'd still show up, and I did lose them. And I, I so wanted to win that I, I actually uh, went to and learned how to do the, the, the sport of judo. And I became a, a provincial judo champion when I was, I think, 13, and uh, won several, several provincial competitions, and just so I could learn how to fight. So I, I, and I, I love intellectual fights. I, I, I love uh, debates. I mean, this is just who I am. For, for me to talk about being a peacemaker is like Colonel Sanders to talk about 
you know, steak and how good steak is. Like it just goes against my impulse. But I have worked on it. And I have seen it as a beautiful part of this kingdom that we live in, this, this Jesus kingdom. You know, I, I've been in this country, I'm, like I said, Canadian. I've been here for uh, 40 years. I'm married to a beautiful American. Lori's here this morning. I love, I love our country. I love the privilege of, of, of living here. But I've never seen more <laughs> unpeacemaking in my life than right now in our country. We're experiencing unpeacemaking in our elections, unpeacemaking on the airlines, unpeacemaking in shopping stores, unpeacemaking in our borders, unpeacemaking in other nations and other countries, and even, you know, unpeacemaking in churches. There's, there's not a lot of peace in our world right now. We, we have never seen less peace, I guess. And so while that concerns us, it should also give us this impulse of no better opportunity to bring the life and love and peace of Christ into our world than right now, than right now. I, the last two months, um, I have had so many opportunities to lose my peace, and Lori will tell you this. Really, it's been about a, a month and a week so about a month and a week ago, had this car, been running good for like a year. All of a sudden, light blinks, starts to shake and stop. And so lucky enough to actually get it to my mechanic, fixes it, pick it up. Literally within 10 minutes, a different light goes on. Something else is wrong. So I turn around, drop it off again. Another week goes by, fixes it, another bill. Honest truth, third time leaving, within 12 hours, another different light comes on. Go back, third time, fixes it, another bill. Within 10 minutes, another thing goes wrong. Fourth time, go back, fixes it, pays the bill, and everything is different. And <laughs> by this time, I'm asking him, hey, bro, what are you doing to my car when I leave every time? Like, come on, man. You're up. And I've, this guy's been my mechanic for 25 years. Like, he's a good friend. Fifth time I go back. The fourth time was one side of the radiator. Fifth time I go back literally within a half hour. The other side of the radiator just blows up. Uh, the, the, you know, the uh, pipe came off, water everywhere. And I'm like, what is going on? So I go back the fifth time, I drop it off. I mean, but I'm just smiling. I say, hey, man, you're, it's so good, man. We get to hang out, you know. And, uh, and it's so good to be able to pay you $4,000, you know, to, to just hang out, you know, and have time together. And, and he, he looked at me on the fifth time. He said, Blaine, this is what he said. He said, why are you not just absolutely, and then he used the word P-O'd, except he said it, at the car, at me, at everything. And I said, well, I, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm very tempted. But I just figured I don't live in the kingdom of cars. I live in the kingdom of God. 
Cars are not my God. Cars are not my source. Cars are not my Lord. God's bigger than cars, and we'll get through this. And you just said, I've, I've never seen anybody that had, I've never seen a car have so many problems in a row, and I've never seen anybody just like be at peace with it. Well, it's not easy. It's a, it's a challenge. But we can do it, and we can bring peace to our world. We are people of peace. Uh, Isaiah prophesied about the, the coming Messiah. He said he's going to, you know, the Lord's going to give us his child, and this child is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. But then I love this. He'll be the Prince of Peace. He will rule with peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Notice he was not a Prince of Power to be wielded, but he came as a Prince of Peace to be per perpetual. This peace is a gift from our king, and it changes everything in our life. It's interesting that when Jesus showed up in this world, and understand, uh, you know, God had not spoken directly to mankind for a couple thousand years, according to Scripture. I mean, we, we can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God had a, you know, firsthand, face-to-face -face conversation with Adam and with Eve, but since then... There hasn't been that. I mean, his communications were through clouds by day, fire by night, burning bushes, tablets, you know, things like that. He spoke through donkeys, and of course, uh, there was scripture. But for the first time, Jesus shows up being God himself, and he speaks his very first message. It was his first and its longest message. It's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he begins with these things that we call the Beatitudes, or we call them the Blesseds. He starts talking about the Blesseds of God, that it's blessed when you live into purity, it's blessed when you live into mercy, it's blessed when you hunger and thirst for things that are right and righteous. But he gets to number seven. It's kind of his last blessed other than living through persecution. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. That peacemaking is one of our attributes. It's one of the things that when people see it and feel it among us, that they're going to say, oh, that's a, that's a child of God. That's a follower of Jesus. There's something about the peace that they're bringing into this world, and it's important we define peace. Because when we think of peace, we often think, well, of war and peace, and that peace is kind of this absence of, absence of conflict, or there's no hostility, that everything just kind of works out perfectly for us. And yet, the very Prince of Peace, Jesus, seemed to be surrounded by all kinds of upheaval everywhere he went. Hostility from religious leaders, demon spirits manifesting, Followers always creating drama. I mean, there was just always something going on. I mean, you know, Jesus going across the lake with his disciples. Storms are breaking out. I mean, this, this, this man, even though he was a prince of peace, seemed to be around a lot of turmoil. And I think we can see from that that God's peace is not necessarily the absence of trouble. But experiencing the presence of Christ in the midst of trouble. The biblical 
concept of peace rests heavily on this Hebrew word, which means to be complete or to be sound. The verb conveys both a dynamic and static meaning to be complete or whole or to live well. And it literally means bringing together the, the, the God in our life, the, the, the presence of God in our life and the troubles in our life and somehow finding peace in the midst of that. And the best way I can illustrate that is this uh, story that goes back several hundred years. So there was uh, maybe a hundred years. There was this uh, really wealthy man that was consumed with uh, finding peace in his life. And he wanted, he wanted to create the perfect setting, the perfect picture of peace. And so he commissioned this art contest. And he said, I want all the great artists of the land to come together, and uh, I'm going to give a large sum of money as an award, as a as a, a victory reward for the one that can create the most beautiful picture of peace. And so the challenge stirred up the imaginations of artists everywhere, and paintings began to arrive far and wide until finally the great day of revelation arrived. And the judges, one painting after another, began to uncover, and they were just absolutely beautiful. People were clapping and cheering, and, and uh, tensions were growing until finally they were the last two pitchers who had come down to these, these last two. And the first one, they pulled the cover off and there's this like hush across the entire crowd. There was this like beautiful, mere smooth uh, lake reflected with lacy green birches under the soft blush of the evening sky. And then along the grassy shore, there was this flock of sheep just grazing undisturbed, and surely this was the winter. I mean, it was just a beautiful picture of peace in our world. Until finally, the final painting was uncovered, and the crowd was just like gasping when they saw it. They were like, what? How could this be peace? There was this tumultuous waterfall cascading down this rocky precipice. Crowd can almost feel like the cold and penetrating spray of the fall. Stormy gray clouds were threatening to explode with lightning. There was wind and rain you could see in this painting. And in the midst of the thundering noises and the bitter chill of that painting, a, a small spindly tree clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls. And one of its branches kind of reached out in front of the torrential waters. And there was this little tiny bird that had built this nest in an elbow of the branch of that tree, content and undisturbed in her stormy settings. She rested on her eggs, and with her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she had peace from her creator that transcended all earthly turmoil. It's a beautiful picture of how we can live in Christ, the peace that God can give us. There are people right now that are in this place struggling. You have financial turmoil. You've got relational turmoil. There are people that here this morning that you don't know if your marriage is going to last one more year. You don't know where your kids are, what they're doing. You're in a place where you're unsure about your job and the future of your employment. There's people here that are struggling with health issues. 
you've been diagnosed with something that has brought fear and anxiety and you begin to wonder about the future of your life. Life is full of turmoil. We're never going to end the anxiety and the turmoil and the tragedy and the stuff that goes on in our world and yet somehow the Prince of Peace can be present in the midst. That with the waterfall and the winds and the, and the thunder and the rain that somehow we can get in that crook of a branch and know that our Creator is with us. Isaiah goes on in Isaiah 48, 18, and he said, if you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. So it's this idea that peace isn't this tranquil body of water or lake without ripples or movement, but it's this active, moving, cascading life that somehow we still live in peace. So here's the question. Once we experience that peace and we come to peace with God, how do we become a peacemaker? How do we bring peace into the world? How do we create peace? Now, what I'm going to read this morning, I have not yet fully lived up to. It challenges me every time I read it. I will be challenged next week to live into this. But I believe this is the answer Jesus would give us to live into peace. What I'm going to read will challenge all of us politically. It will challenge us who are decidedly American. <laughs> it will challenge us in terms of our instincts and our own impulses. But what I'm about to read, these words of Jesus, has the potential to change the world. In fact, it already did the way he lived. So there's this about 11 verses that... Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to speak to us about how to encounter hostility. How do we encounter enemies? He speaks directly to our enemy world. He speaks directly to those that are hostile towards us. And he says, this is how I want you to engage. If you're dealing with war, if you're dealing with someone that's opposed to you, someone that's against you, he said, this is how... I want you to engage. And this is what he said. To you who are ready for the truth, he says, I say this. Love your enemies. Now, we hear that today and it's like, yeah, that's cool. I'm good. I don't have too many enemies. He was speaking to a culture and to a nation and to a people who were under the thumb the power, the rule of an ugly, cruel empire called Rome, led by Caesar, who would kill you if you didn't do exactly what you were told. So when he said, love your enemies, they knew exactly who he was talking about in their minds. They had enemies. They hated Rome. And then he said, let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you on the face, stand there and take it. I told you this would be un-American, right? <laughs> like, come on. Who does that? Who does that? Who takes that? 
says, take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice a servant life. No more payback. Live generously. How many have already checked out? Uh, you know, like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Don't read anymore, please. It's, this is awful. But he goes on. Here is a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. He says, again, I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this kind of God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind, therefore you be kind. Wow. Like I said, I am a work at progress in this because I don't always turn my other cheek. And I don't always, when someone asks for something, give them a little bit extra. This is not in my wheelhouse, and it's probably not in most of yours. But this is the call to being a peacemaker with our enemies. Not just to negotiate, not just to, you know, kind of get through it, but to literally embrace love, to literally embrace the gift of God's generosity, that God's generosity and God's love and God's goodness in the lives of others will somehow break through those hostile barriers and melt hearts and watch what God can do. Without dispute in that day, the two most influential leaders in Israel were Caesar and Jesus. Now, you could talk about Herod, but Herod was under Caesar. Herod was over Jerusalem, Caesar was open, or over Israel, Caesar was over all of Rome, and Herod answered to Caesar. So the two most powerful men in Israel were Jesus, because of his incredible following, political leaders were afraid of him, and then Caesar, because of his military power. So Caesar had this political leadership by military force. In fact, he was considered a god and Jesus had this prophetic leadership that was led by love, by enemy love. And think about who won. People will argue while Jesus was crucified when he was 33 years old. But think about who won. A thousand years later, a couple thousand years later, Caesar is what? Salad dressing. And Jesus is king, king. So lest we think love doesn't work, <laughs> it works. It changes the world. Now, like I said, I'm unmistakably a work in progress on this whole giving coats away, 
taking second strikes on, on the cheek. But I share this final story because I got it right this one time. <laughs> and it so inspired me to really begin to live into getting it right again and again. I was on an airplane several years ago, and I, I used to fly a lot. I used to fly a ton. And so I'm getting on another airplane, and it's my last uh, connection from Dallas back to Tulsa after a long trip. And I'm just tired. I've preached the whole weekend, and so I'm getting on. I got my backpack, and I go down. And being a veteran flyer, uh, I've flown 2.7 million miles with American. So having flown all this, you know, all this time, I, I, I know how the system works. And so I get to the back, and I got my seat number. It's an aisle, and there's a guy in my seat, and he's a great big guy. And the plane is full. And so there is one other seat over here, but my instincts tell me I know what's going to happen. I'm going to take the empty seat, which I would have been happy to do, but somebody is going to get on the plane and then ask me to move, and then I'm going to have to come back and ask this guy to move. And it's happened so many times that I know the best thing is just to get in my assigned seat. It's the simplest. It's the fastest way. And so I, I just walk up to this, this large, strong gentleman, and uh, I said, sir, uh, you know, I showed him my thing. I, I are you in this seat too? I didn't say you're in my seat. I said, are you in this seat too? Because there's a chance that we both got the same seat, right? So I'm not accusing him. I said, you know, are, is this your seat too? And he pulls out his card and says, no, no, I guess not. Okay, I said, well, I'd sit somewhere else, but I just, you know, I know I'll get moved and would you mind, you know, trading and moving, you know, to, to your seat? So he kind of, you know, He's not happy. So he grabs his stuff and gets it all up and just, you know, is kind of grunting and sits down and he happens to be sitting right across the aisle from me. I didn't realize this, but he made someone else move. So whoever was in his seat, he made move and he sat. So there we are right across the aisle from each other. And he is not happy. Now, again, I, I tried to be polite. I wasn't, you know, and so I'm like, okay, just going to get through this. It's only a 45-minute flight. So I, as soon as the flight takes off, I push back my seat, and I, and I just close my eyes to just have a rest. All of a sudden, I hear this guy, and he says, hey. <laughs> he says, you think you're one hot load of, and then fill in the blank, don't you? I mean, everybody is looking. And I'm like waking out of my slumber. Like, Hello, excuse me? He said, you really think you're something, don't you? And I'm like, no, no, I don't. And he started to berate me. Now, this is a long time ago, and I, I might have approached it the wrong way. Maybe I, you know, I thought I was polite, but maybe I wasn't. But in that moment, I thought I was right. I thought I had handled the situation perfectly. I don't know how I could have been any more considerate. 
And so my, my instinct, my justice was like, bro, don't you come on to me. We'll do it right here, man. Come on. I got some judo for you, man. I mean, I wanted to go. And I don't know how I did it. I, to this moment, it was just had to be the grace of God. But I, I just finally kind of summoned this, this peace, and I just said, hey, man, listen, I apologize if I came across rude or in any way was offensive. I was just trying to make sure we had a seat, we didn't get moved around, and I re-explained my situation. And I said, hey, you know, if you want to sit here, I'll sit there. I mean, whatever you want to do. And uh, he looked back at me, and tears began to roll down his eyes. And I'm like, what is going on? And I'm watching these tears, and I, I, my heart is just going out to him. And, uh, and he'd been drinking. I mean, he had three of those little mini, you know, mini bottles, uh, you know, in his tray. And, and he said, uh, I'm sorry. I can't believe I acted that way. He said, I just found out my wife is divorcing me. And my daughter won't answer my calls. She won't even talk to me. He pulls out his wallet and starts pulling pictures out of his wallet and showing me pictures of his daughter who plays softball for one of the schools. You can just tell he was so proud of her and he just so loved her. And this guy was broken. He was in so much pain and so much hurt. And uh, I said, what do you do? And he told me he was, you know, I forget what it was, but he asked me what, what I did. And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Oh, no, he said, I just cussed you out. Anyways, we had 30 more minutes of conversation that ended in a prayer. And we exchanged numbers and addresses. And we actually stayed in touch for a pretty good amount of time. But guys, I can tell you this, what I've experienced in this world is that oftentimes the hostility and the, the pain that's coming our way and the stuff that we see and the division that we're experiencing is a product of something that is deeper in the lives of people. That there are hurt people, there are broken people, and they put up an exterior that often isn't real. It's simply saying, I don't want you to come in. And if we can dare through the love of Jesus, through the grace of God, through the peace of Christ, break through those exteriors, there's work to be done. There's grace to be experienced. So I wonder how God will give us those opportunities this week. I wonder who the next person is that we'll find is really impatient with us or really challenges us. It might be a family member. Maybe some of you, it'll be Thanksgiving with your family. Maybe it'll be your son, or maybe it'll be your dad. But this is our opportunity to let love reign and to let peace be made, a peace that only comes from Christ.
want to pray this prayer of St. Clement, who was one of the first century church fathers. It's a very short prayer. And I'd like for you to uh, just open up your hearts to receive this prayer. It's, it's not long, but it's beautiful. He prayed this prayer, Lord, let us run to the goal of peace which was handed down to us from the beginning. Let us fix our eyes on the Father and creator of the universe and cling to his magnificent and excellent gifts of peace and kindness to us. And let us consider how free he is from anger towards his whole creation. God in heaven, if you're free from anger towards us, If you've made peace with us, how much more can we make peace in this world and create and bring the love of Christ to those that are suffering and hurt and pain? And as we approach communion this morning, as we come together in just a few moments to receive the body and blood of Christ in the form of the juice and the bread, We're reminded of Colossians 1 where it says that it pleased you to have the fullness of God in Christ, that through him you were able to reconcile himself, yourself to all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Thank you for your blood today. If there's anyone that feels away from you, if there's anyone that feels like there's a dividing chasm between them and you. Bring them home this morning. Let them know that they're loved. Let them know that there's no sin they could commit. There's no harm they could do. There's no decision they've made in the past that could keep them from your love. That your love is present and abiding. Draw us home this morning to the Father. We pray in Jesus' name.